Hello and welcome to Between the Pints. I am Ryan Moses, your kind of fill-in host. Um, Aaron Gore is off with his in-laws today, so he could not attend today's session. But with me, I have um, Mike Idy, Ben Bresney, and Cam Heiliger, all some of your favorite local beer reps. Um, Mike is with now with Witten Robot Brewery here in Charlotte. Ben's with Triple C, and Cam is the Oscar Blues Cigar City Canarchy rep for Can- Charlotte. Canarchy? Canarchy. Canarchy. <laughs> ah, all right. If each one of you guys just want to kind of introduce yourselves and tell people a little bit about yourselves. We'll start with you, Mike. All right. Um, I'm Mike Idy. I've uh, been in the business uh, probably about 18 years now. Uh, started off a small distributor and uh, mostly wine with some craft beer and import beers and uh, and went to a try-on distributor for the last 15 years and uh, most recently with the Wooden Robot this past summer as a sales director there. So. Uh, been around a while, <laughs> seen Charlotte grow, and when it was uh, before the beer laws changed and after, so got to see a progression. <clears throat> All right, Ben. Uh, I've been in the industry for 14 years now. Um, started off with um, Budweiser, was their contemporary marketer um, when I was just 21 years old. Went around to all the college bars and slung Bud Lights and Miller Lights. <laughs> it was very fun at the time. Um, <laughs> did get uh, a lot of good back knowledge from them guys. Uh, started uh, doing some promotions and special events and then uh, ultimately moved to a sales route. It's a lot harder on that side to actually get a, a route without any sales experience. So I've got all of my sales experience basically from those guys. But um, most recently moved down here about seven years ago and have been working for Triple C Brewing Company ever since. I was the first employee, so there aren't very many jobs within the small uh, you know, um, brewery that I haven't done as far as delivery, line cleaning, um, sales, management now, and washing floors, you know, everything <laughs> yeah. and everything that it takes to, uh, to keep the, uh, the lights on and, and the beer out in the, out in the force. So. Cool. keep it going all right cam yeah i uh so i started i've done a lot of different jobs in beer i started about eight nine years ago writing about craft beer in charlotte uh i did some writing for examiner.com and for i uh, did a couple pieces for creative loafing and a couple pieces for npr and then um decided that i didn't like having a salary and benefits and so i decided to go work at, <laughs> at a local brewery here in charlotte and um know do line cleaning and delivery and you know learn the business and kind of get my foot in the door that way and then uh i've been on the sales side for and almost almost five years now um doing sales for suppliers so i was with great lakes brewing company for three years and uh, i've been with oscar blues cigar city canarchy whatever uh whatever name you'd like to apply therein uh for uh just a little over a year now all right, cool. Well, I'm going to start off with just a little bit of beer news, and if you guys want to chime in, say anything you would like. And the first story is BrewDog looks to recruit more beer fans via latest on-trade acquisition. Um, BrewDog Brewing out of um, Scotland has purchased a bar chain in England called Draft House. And right now what they say their plan is to concentrate on doing in all different brands of independent craft brewing instead of just 
um, brew dog beer. And we've talked about brew dog here before, and we've basically, we just call them mad geniuses because they have figured out a way to make a crap ton of money. Honestly, they're, I think they're one of, they're probably the biggest craft brewer in Europe and one of the biggest in the world just because they are good at the marketing end of this. They make good beer, don't get me wrong, but they are also very good at the other end of making sure you know who they are. And one of the things they're also doing right now is they're building a hotel and that's going to have, that's going to be a part of their brewery, basically, and the hotel will have taps in each room so you have your own individual tap of their beer which is so didn't sierra nevada do that same exact thing yeah i think they did something similar to that yeah i don't know if the taps were necessarily in your room but i'm pretty sure that you had like an option to yeah to turn on a faucet of sorts yeah. in your room and paper pour yeah, yeah probably yeah. yeah and i know they're still planning i don't know if they've started but i know sierra nevada is still planning to build cabins on their property up in Mills River to rent out to people, which I'm pretty sure if they do that, there will be Sierra Nevada beer on tap in your cabin, which is... Uh, it's not a bad thing. It's no. pretty yeah. good beer. It's uh, a very good beer. I mean, I, I've, for the Brewdog piece, I mean, I, I think the key for them and where they're so good at both the beer and marketing side is diversification. I mean, those yeah. guys do a lot of different things, whether it's you know, just the beer that they distribute, whether it's all the bars. I mean, I, when yeah. I was in Florence, Italy, I went to a BrewDog bar in Florence because <laughs> we just happened upon it in the street. I mean, it's like these guys have found a way to just put little pockets of money-making things yeah. in a lot of different places and yeah. it served them really well. I mean, they were on TV. They're funny guys. Yep. You know, I, I, hey, more power to them. I think yeah. they need to do more of that too. The whole TV aspect of everything really brought, I mean, craft beer to light, especially how they would go around to different places, you know, in the United States. Yeah. And I mean, Alaska Brewing Company has been known for having fantastic beer, but I feel like they didn't, they weren't on the map outside of the brew scene until brew dogs went up there and, you know, showcased how they could make a beer out of a pontoon. Yeah. <laughs> and I think too, they kind of bridged that gap where I think years ago, Europe was still in their traditions and had their breweries that had been there forever. And they really didn't have like a, a craft movement like we were having here. Yeah, and, and I think they helped kind of show Europeans too what was going on here and, and I think there's definitely more European breweries opening and changing recipes that they never thought they would ever touch yeah. you know yeah. um, so they, I think they've opened that up for that area too and bars and restaurants over there want us to ship beer over there now right. which is kind of unheard of you know <laughs> yeah. they, they were always known as you know the, the mecca of beer but now they want yeah. you know they want American craft beer. Yeah, there. yeah. Dogfish was collaborating with uh, Italian. Was the My Antonia? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. A while back, and you know, that's kind of like. Yeah, that was Beer Del Borgo. Yeah. So. Then, yeah. yeah Sierra Nevada always collaborates for Oktoberfest with all the, the German breweries yeah, every the, year. Yeah. True so. German brewery, and mm -hmm. like and I will say, that is pro that is probably the one Oktoberfest beer that I buy every year, just because I know it's gonna it's gonna be a traditional German beer, and it's also it's going to be something different every year, and I don't know what it's going to taste like, and it's, it's usually good. good. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one they did last year was phenomenal. Yes, it was. Mm. Okay. The next article is, McKellar's new brewery at City Field makes a great first impression. Basically, if you haven't heard, McKellar, the Danish-slash-San Diego brewery, has opened a brewery tap room at City Field, the home of the New York Mets. And the reason I know this is one of my bartenders is from Long Island, and she's a Mets fan, and she told me this yesterday. <laughs> but, yeah, so it's the 
brewery tap room will be right outside the gate, but it actually is going to be on the stadium grounds. But you don't have to have a ticket to get in to go to the game to get into the brewery, to That's get into brilliant. the bar, which smart. is smart. And it's going to have a functioning kitchen. It's basically, it's going to be like a brewery tap room, but right next to City Field. <laughs> and I think that helps everybody, honestly. <laughs> you won't if you're a craft beer fan, but you don't have a ticket to the Mets game and you couldn't get one, get a, couldn't get a cheap scalped one, just walk over to the McKellar mm-hmm. and have some good beer, watch the game on television. You're right there. A win-win. After a few beers, you're going to think you can probably get out on the field. <laughs> <laughs> I can get in there now. <laughs> I hope um, they have enough space because McKellar cranks out a ton of beer. Oh, God, yes. yes. So. Yeah. I get emails every week with a new McKellar beer. I'm like, I don't understand how this works, honestly. <laughs> I've got it. I, I mean, it, it, they'd have to in order to afford to pay, to pay for a bar right there. I mean, that can't be cheap real estate. I mean, yeah. I mean, that bar, the San Diego spot, I'm sure is also expensive. And then you're, I think he still does have the brewery in Denmark. Mm-hmm. So he's basically playing, paying for multiple breweries across multiple countries. And they're able to do it because, like I said, they turn out a lot of beer and we sell a lot of their beer at the bar, mostly in cans, but we sell a lot of their beer. And yeah. for the most part, it's all really good. <laughs> I still don't know how they can do all those collaborations. When do yeah. they have time to send any of their brewers anywhere? Because they're always <laughs> cranking out new beers. It's, it's kind of intense. Yeah. Well, that's like the like the Cigar City collaboration that just showed up on my doorstep one day. Like, the distributors say, "Yeah, you want these?" I'm like, "Okay, what is it?" I don't really know, but here you can buy them. <laughs> yeah. Especially okay. day and age where I think a lot of breweries are kind of scaling back some of their SKUs and stuff and yeah. trying to focus more on cores and, and having trying to make the specialty one-offs a little more, keeping it special. Yeah. You know, there's looks like they're coming out stuff constantly. Yeah, they don't have a core beer. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, it's, it's all special. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's their angle, That's the brilliance. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, the cool thing about the whole concept, too, is that um, finally I feel like, you know, baseball and beer go hand-in-hand hand and, yeah. you know, I think more and more, um, I guess, fans are realizing that they don't want to drink the mass domestics while they're at, you know, these games. They want to enjoy something, you know, crafty. Buy one instead of six. Yeah. Something along those lines. Uh, I think it's the Cubs. I want to say it's Chicago, but, like, Wrigley Field right outside of of their stadium is, I think it's the number one beer bar in the nation and has been for the past 30 years or something like that. I mean, that's I think that's the growing trend. Even here in Charlotte, the Knights... Yeah. You know, they have their craft craft beers just plastered all over yeah. the uh, the stadium. So I think we're moving in the right direction when when, when it comes down to distribution and, and tapping into new markets. Yeah. Yeah. I think I noticed, too, last time I was out uh, last year at Knights game, I was kind of getting an idea and looking around and seeing how many people were drinking craft. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it was I, – I would say it's definitely over 50%, which, you know yeah. – Years ago, you would never thought that it'd yeah. probably be a 70-30 kind of thing, but it, it could have been, it very well could have been 70-30 craft, you know? Yeah. So, uh, it's crazy how things change. What a wonderful world we live yeah. in, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the next article is, All Hell the Hemperer, New Belgium Brewery Launches Hemp Beer. New Belgium has debuted an IPA, or an HPA as they are calling it. It's made with hemp hearts, which apparently that's one of the parts of the hemp plant that the government legalized in, I think, 2014. 
So this, I have not had a chance to taste it yet, but from the some of the tasting reviews I've read of it, it has, it's it's a hemp beer, so it's going to be dank and resinous, and it's going to taste like what you would expect. And they're, I think they're officially releasing it on 420, by the way, <laughs> which makes sense. Yeah. And I'm actually kind of glad to talk about New Belgium in a good light, because the last time we've talked about New Belgium was when they had their workforce cut. And again, the, and I think we've, Aaron talked about it last week, but some of our listeners think we are Debbie Downers. <laughs> because we always seem to talk about the bad parts of craft beer, but or the bad parts of the craft beer news. But this is a good one. This is New Belgium is coming up with a hemp beer, and it's a gimmick. And so, yeah. it's a and it's a gimmick that I think you getting back to marketing is New Belgium is another one of those is one of those breweries that is the like the mid sized regional brewery that's a legacy brewer and they're kind of caught in the middle of everything they can't they're not big enough to bigfoot people like the ab and miller but then they're not small enough to keep not small enough and young enough to keep that hip edge so they're so it's one of those things where you're always trying to not you're trying to leverage your tradition and your legacy but at the same time not being the new younger craft brewer new young craft beer drinkers dad's beer yeah which is i think it's something that's fascinating to watch and it's something i think is really hard for breweries i i think new belgium has actually done a lot of great stuff recently yeah. i mean they're i've and i've actually tried this beer that you're talking about oh. for yeah f- for the record and i mean if you want a beer that reminds you of <laughs> weed you are gonna get it um you know, New definition of skunk beer, uh, <laughs> dude. It it smells like it smells like I told my buddy it smells like bong water. I mean, it really like it hits you as soon as <laughs> you it, as soon as we opened up that bottle, man. It was just like boom, it 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 hits you. But it's I give them a lot of credit for just being innovative, trying something yeah. new, being interesting. I mean, their Agua Fresca beer that they just came out with, I wanted to hate it so bad because it has watermelon and lime, and I tried it, and it was delicious yeah. and refreshing. And, you know, I think when we talk about mid-sized breweries and, you know, you know, or larger craft breweries, depending on your perspective or how you yeah. want to define it, I mean, innovation is key right now. Yeah. And they, you know, between their packaging, when all that voodoo packaging came out, I was like, you know, and I'm 33 years old, so you know, apparently I'm old in the craft beer world now because I took one look at that and I was like, oh god, this is a disaster. Yeah. And it's selling like crazy, and it's just you know they're smart people, their marketing people are obviously a lot smarter than I am, and yeah. they're selling a lot of beer, man. So good for them. Yeah. They're, they're really smart too. When they open up new markets, uh, you know, they require uh, you know the fat tire beat, you know, is their anchor brand. Um, and they don't even offer anything other than the 22s. Well, this is the way they used to open up new markets mm-hmm. was the 22s first, on-premise, off-premise. Then they bring in the draft, and then they would do all the packaging. Um, now I think you kind of have to flip the script on that. And if you want to break into these newer markets, you have to offer what the people want. Yeah. And, you know, right now it's, I hate to say it, but it's kind of gimmicky, you know. And when it boils down to it, you have to you have to be on the forefront of a lot of these gimmicks, uh, you know. You'd be surprised. I wouldn't. I mean, there's probably going to be 30 other breweries uh, regionally in and around here that are going to try yeah. and do something very similar. Yeah. yeah. So 
I'm jealous it wasn't Oscar Blues. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised it wasn't. I'm sure there's a, sure a lot of like legal aspects of it too, trying to figure out what what could you get away with, like trying to find yeah. out they could use the hearts and all that. Yeah, and uh, yeah. From so, the, the article already, yeah, that was a big hurdle was trying to figure out how do you use the legal parts of the hemp plant yeah. and what's going to take basically what's legal that you can use and what will taste good in the beer when you use it. Yeah, and I yeah. think they came up with the figured with, out a way to use the um, hemp hard. So yeah, yeah, I think with their size and with with the money, that'll help open the doors and lead the way for other people to be able to do yeah. that too. So in one aspect, it, you know, it definitely it helps everybody. You know, and I know that the legalization portion of marijuana has kind of been like a touchy subject, especially within the craft beer industry, because you know we're all nervous. You know, if it does legalize, are people going to shift? The, you know, the, you know their recreational kind of aspects from that to that. Um, so, you know, just to do some cross-marketing with it, I think is, is yeah, very I agree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, when someone ultimately splices it with the, uh, with yeah. hops, right. that's going to be the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The old an- anarchist cookbook, I think there's a way to do it in there, but, uh, I never looked. Boy, I just, that's all <laughs> <laughs> that's all from, this was, this was a guy, some guy told me that. <laughs> got a guy. <laughs> oh, and the last article is beer, moder- beer modernization inches ever closer. One of the states that is trying to modernize their alcohol and beer laws is Oklahoma. And currently, one of the things they've just done is they've made it, they've made 3.2 and above beer legal to be sold everywhere in Oklahoma. However, there are still 14 counties that they're on, the only alcohol legal in that states in those counties are 3.2 and below. So the problem is once I think it's October 1 hits, the way the law is set up, they won't be able to sell. But you have to be able to sell all beer or you can't just sell 3.2. You have to be able to sell all beer or none at all. So as of October 1 this year, those four, 14 counties, unless they pass a liquor by the drink referendum between now and then, they will become essentially completely dry. And let's see. And one of the funny, one of the interesting things I read in this article is the, yeah, they have to get the referendums passed by August. So if they get them passed by August, the all the licenses that they would need all the new licenses that they would need to be able to they would have to hand out for the businesses in those counties it would it'd have to be done by august so that the licenses could go into effect by october 1 and i did not and they're expecting about 50,000 applications for licenses once all of the counties finish their liquor by the drink referendums and but the thing that interested me most in this article is in oklahoma to if you're an individual who works for a place that sells beer you have to have a license to sell beer or alcohol you have to be over 18 and you have to pass a licensing test to be i think a licensing test Hmm. or something to be able to sell alcohol which is kind of interesting yeah especially in a day and age where you can go buy a gun at 18. (laughs) yeah well yeah you have to be 18 years old you have to be 18 to be able to sell alcohol which i'm like you can sell alcohol at 18 but you can't drink it sure yeah. So you have to be 18 to get the license. You have to be at least 18. But yeah, I'm. It's that's just a very interesting. It's pretty record. hardcore. Yeah. You know. So yeah, that's a. I don't know. I mean, a lot of these laws go back to prohibition and and probably need to be re- looked at again. And yeah. you know, and I don't know. I have a lot of strong opinions on it, but you know, it's a lot of these laws come back to the religious reasons and. Um, 
you know, if we're a true separation of church and state, then a lot of these laws should be uh, should be just relooked at and like, yeah, that was a different time, different era, and uh, you know, it'll and, it'll hit them in the pocketbook pretty directly if those counties become dry, and yeah. you know, when that starts to happen, I think yeah, that be, that's yeah. when they'll be forced to reevaluate it again. I mean, you have people. This is politics in this day and age, man. Like it's so polarized and divided, and so you're gonna have people dig their heels in for a little bit, and they're gonna, you know, they're gonna try to work with this, and then, you know, eventually when their constituency gets tired of having to drive across county lines in order to get a beer, yeah. they'll change it. But you know, until then, yeah. And when the county hits a twenty thousand dollars shortfall for its budget the next mm-hmm. year because you don't, you're not getting any taxes, taxes. from all the yeah. beer and liquor that you could have been selling that you're selling to the county who you know that county someone had the brilliant idea of the county next to you to build a liquor store 10 feet from the county line yeah. and that's where all your tax money is right mm-hmm. there and i'm guessing the majority of those those businesses are locally owned probably yeah. family owned and you know day and age we're trying to get more you know the economy going and, and especially for the little guy that's just opposite you know yeah it works against it so uh, none of that makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. And I think part of the problem that I've noticed and that I think Aaron has also noticed is when you read about states who are changing their alcohol laws, one thing you find is they end up doing it kind of like Oklahoma and Colorado where it's kind of piecemeal because mm-hmm. no one takes – they don't get the tentacles and the tendrils that the alcohol laws have in all different parts of retail business and the alcohol business and the distribution they don't see the, they don't take the time to figure out what the whole picture is and then they try to change the laws and then you end up you end up with this where you have some counties that are end up they'll end up being dry some counties that'll that have been selling alcohol all alcohol for a long time and then in Colorado where you have the where you have these small liquor stores who are fighting against the new retail laws and it's one of the states that I found that did the best job with their alcohol laws is New York State because they took I think two or three years and just studied all their laws figured out what all their laws did and then they came back with a comprehensive slate of legislation that would effectively help create a craft beer, craft wine, and meadery culture and cidery culture without completely decimating what they already had. And yeah. I think more states should take the time and take the, take, basically take the time and the foresight to do that. Yeah. Even if you know you need to change your laws, don't rush into it because you will probably do more harm than good. I mean, laws, do that. laws are complicated, man. Yes. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I saw somebody had posted a picture somewhere on Facebook that had, uh, you know, a, it was a picture of Rand Paul with the omnibus spending bill that was like 5,000 yeah. pages that he printed. And, you know, it's just like this that was set to be vote on, voted on that evening. Of course, yeah. nobody read the bill. Read and, yeah. you know, this is, again, this is another downfall of the age that we live in politically that you know, sure. If people were, if people would sit down and actually seriously take a look at these laws over the course of a year or two, yeah, the solution would be much more eloquent. It would be much more encompassing, and it would probably be much more beneficial. But we want things now, damn it! Like that's the age yeah. that we live in, and you know, uh, it's yeah, it's yeah. gonna be it's gonna be hard for them to uh, to get it right uh, right out of the gate. There's a lot of people in craft beer now that might not even remember. You know, I think it's probably been almost 12 years ago. Yeah, that, pop the cap. 
yeah, I mean, we, we couldn't get anything over 5.99, you know, mm-hmm. and it seems so long ago, but I remember we're, you know, people would get together weekend trips up to Blacksburg, Virginia, because yeah. <laughs> we're going to go try to find 90 minute or, you know, <laughs> hopefully that 120 or, or just anything, you know, that Chimay, all, all the Belgian beers. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing the stuff that now we don't even realize we couldn't get years ago. And, um, yep. and that's obviously had a big impact on our economy and, yep. and, you know, put us in you know, a, a big state in the craft beer, you know, world. So yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's the same kind of law. I yeah. mean, those are the, still the same things. And, and, uh, and I think that's actually what's happened. What's happened in New York state is they passed that they passed all those laws and their craft beer industry has taken off over the last two years just because mm-hmm. they've made it, they did a good job of making it easier and making everything work better for craft brewers because they, again, they took the time to figure out what, what would work and what wouldn't work and what needed to be done. And yeah. they asked yeah. themselves why these laws are there. And I think yeah. if most people asked why these laws started and why they're still there, uh, it'd be pretty easy to figure out that they're probably outdated. And yeah, you know. we still have the majority of our like marketing laws here in North Carolina are from the early 70s. Yeah. You know, I mean, we can't even use social media to, you know, broadcast where we have events, you know, for right. a small brewery. So it's yeah. and still kind of crazy. Yeah. One of my favorites is legally, me and my bar staff cannot wear any thing from you guys while Brand, we're bartending yeah. because yeah. that's adverti- quote unquote advertising. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, yeah, I'm, it's like you're trying to, I think the reason behind the law is they think you're, promoting one brewery over another but for us we have 36 tabs i mean i usually if i'm wearing a hat there's a high probability that beard from that brewery is not on tab anyway right yeah it's just yeah. Uh, another way to yeah just doesn't but, make yeah. sense you know i mean there there are reasons behind it but yeah, yeah. and and i understand the reasons behind the laws about advertising to an extent but Again, it's like you said, you can't use social media to promote an event you're having. Right. I don't. Oops. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, Well, I mean, when I started um, 14 years ago in Pennsylvania, you couldn't even buy anything smaller than a case of beer. Oh, Pennsylvania has some weird And that literally literally just changed last year. Did they change that finally? If you wanted to get a six-pack or a 12-pack, you had to go to the bar, and they would charge you bar pricing (laughs) for those six-packs. So, I mean, it didn't make any sense to do it. It was just a convenience factor if you were there having a beer, and you're like, oh, I'm going to go home. Instead of going to the beer distributor, which is what they called them, um, you would just grab a six-pack at, like, $15. It was unreal, (laughs) absolutely unreal. But, yeah, they did change it within the past year or so. Yeah, so yeah, somebody we, obviously looked at that and said, it's time we adjust that. Move yeah. on, yeah, yeah that's and good. Yeah, we, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I, was, was, I mean, when I was with Great Lakes, we had to have a whole strategy around Pennsylvania that was almost totally separate from everything else because, again, you're, you're, you're thinking in terms of bulk purchases where people are buying at least a case at a time, mm-hmm. and how does that make sense from a packaging perspective? How does it make sense from, a, from an ABV perspective? You know, because if you're selling higher ABV beers, like, you know, in our case at the time, you know, we were selling Chill Wave or Lake Erie Monster. You have these double IPAs, but they're expensive. And so your cases of beer were over $50 mm-hmm. for these people to buy. That's a massive commitment. And yeah. then you're thinking about, okay, I've got to plow through a case of beer in an amount of time that's, like, reasonable. I mean, are we promoting alcoholism here just by, like, getting people to, like, if you want fresh beer, you've got to crush this case. Or you better have a lot of friends that are coming over. Yeah. <laughs> right. That'd and, be for a party. And I remember when 
the laws were passed in Pennsylvania, I remember the group spearheading it was basically the retailers in like sheets. The gas station was like the primary pusher for these new laws because, like you said, they were trying to sell beer, but they couldn't sell beer in their gas station. And here in North Carolina, you're like, it's a gas station. Mm -hmm. You're that's yeah. where you buy your yeah. suitcase of Bud Light. <laughs> you, yeah. you go to the gas station, but but, it, but yet ice. down here you can't you can't get a thirty pack. Whereas up there, that's all they sell yeah. are thirty packs. So that's right. I forgot about this. <laughs> the wait. super suitcase <laughs> or the thirty six packs during the summer. That's where it goes a little crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all that's right, funny. guys. I guess we'll get into pack. the bulk of our show today. And what we really, what Aaron and I really envisioned with this beer rep bingo that we came up with was to have you guys come in and just kind of just talk about the business end of craft beer and a lot of how you've seen it change. So I guess we'll start off with, I'll start with Mike. Oh. I'll start with you and go around the table. But what has changed in Charlotte Craft Beer and craft beer in general and Charlotte Craft Beer in particular since you've been working in the beer industry? Um, when I started really for the craftier side of beer it was all imports it was uh belgian beers or you know uh small uh german beers <clears throat> anger and uh yeah. you know you still had your polloners and stuff out there but um some of the smaller guys uh pinkus and stuff but uh so i really had to know a lot about you know belgians and the whole we well we couldn't sell a lot of trappist tales but uh, you know, um, yeah, because the ABV law, you yeah, sell a lot of the, but, yeah. uh, you know, La Trap was one, you could find the, the double in, in town and I sold that. Um, so, but it was also too, they were expensive. I remember going to, a, a many restaurants trying to sell a, a quarter barrel. And at the time I think it was around 150 for a, for a Belgian, I mean, it's true Belgian beer, you know, it's one of the, one of the Trappists and, uh, you know, they kind of looked at you like you were crazy, you know, as far as the pricing <laughs> goes. And now it's in line with most of a lot of the craft beers and yeah. stuff out there, some of the higher-end ones. I'm but, sure they uh, were like, well, we can get a half barrel of Bud Light for $70. Why am I going to buy a quarter barrel right. of just stuff so, that nobody knows for 150 <laughs> There's only a handful of takers on that, and you even try to woo them with some, uh, you know, some goblets they wouldn't give off, you know, just kind of, you know, help sell the beer and stuff for eight-ounce pours. And, but, um, but so that's really how it all you know that's really where it was and then um little by little it really came down to uh there was more craft coming in and then we i think people in in charlotte and north carolina were realizing there's so much more other stuff out there um i remember you know bringing dogfish in and uh everybody wanted the uh 90 minute or obviously yeah. the 120 which we still you know that law is only at what 16.9 so that's a 18 percent or so we still <laughs> still can't get things over 16.9 <laughs> but you know um but it was all that. It was uh, there was a lot of breweries that, that I was selling, but we just could not put those, bring those into the state. Um, Sam Smith with the Imperial Stouts and um, Bell's. Actually, Two Hearted was uh, over the limit. So you know, we sold Oberon, we sold you know other uh, Bell's items, but we could not bring uh, Two Hearted in. So when those laws changed, and uh, it, it literally happened overnight. I mean, it yeah. was it, 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 everything shifted. Um, we had restaurants and bars that were like, I couldn't even tell them what I had. I couldn't even spit the name out as long as, you know, if it was over 6%, it was like, is it over 6%? Yeah, send it. I'm like, all right, you know what it is? I don't care. Send it. <laughs> so, uh, it, I mean, it was crazy. Um, 
That must have uh, been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a learning curve for a lot of people, you know. It's just like, yeah, we'll take a we'll we'll take a bucket of golden monkey. Why not? You know. Next thing you know, you're like, who ordered a bucket of that? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, it was a, a lot of learning on that, but uh, but it you know it died down a little bit. It's or evened off, I guess, and people understood. And now it's like it's hard to even look back and remember that it used to be like that. But uh, and, and and then actually, so. At that point, it was a lot of national breweries. Um, you got your, you know, your Stones and uh, Anchor and Rogue, a lot of that stuff. And uh, and then probably within the last five, six years or so, um, local, local, uber local is like really taken off. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember when when Highland Gaelic was kind of like the the local beer of Charlotte. You know, it really, there wasn't a whole lot out there. Um, and uh, little by little, just we just had more and more popping up in the area and people were embracing it too. They wanted to buy local and, and, and it, you know, we're making good beers in, in Charlotte too. So, um, it wasn't just cause it was local. I think there were some good beers being made too. And still are. So, and that's kind of where that all, you know, kind of took off and to where we are today. We got, you know, remember when there were two local beer breweries and four and five, and, you days. know, <laughs> 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 you know, it was, uh, and everyone was excited about it too, yeah. you know. And then even the the national breweries and uh, you know on a larger scale even embraced it and stuff. So, uh, but now it's gotten to the point where it's just uh, you know, some of these you know, breweries from other states and stuff kind of got pushed aside because everybody wants the locals. Yeah. So, uh, so you see a little bit of that change too. So it's the marketing and that and uh, has changed a lot. You know, just every every year it seems like it's changing. I'm so. surprised when uh, some of these um, larger regional breweries kind of break into a market like Charlotte, um, they're not actively going out to uh, to us, us smaller breweries, and trying to do like a collaboration. Yeah. To, to you know to actually break into it to say like you know what I'm not trying to take over this city. I just want to be a part of what you guys have. Right. Um, why don't we you know put together a small little you know seven barrel batch and do some promotions behind it? I think that would be. Yeah, really embrace, but no one wants to do it. Yeah, a lot of these breweries too. I think they were like, oh, "We were in that market first, right?" You know? <laughs> right. Now we're just yeah. coming back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, but that's a yeah, it's a great idea. Embrace the local thing and, and collaborate more. And that's the only way that anyone's gonna yeah actually maybe even help with certain things. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it's it's definitely changed. <laughs> um, I'll I'll take a kind of like another um, aspect of it because Mike hit a lot of the nails on the head right there, but. Um, draft beer uh it was kind of known as uh, an old man's you know aspect <laughs> of beer you know yeah. even back in uh you know 2000 2001 when i was you know getting into this i mean my line cleaner might have cleaned the line once every three months <laughs> on, on, on our uh, yeah. on our handles you know and i had we had six counties so we had a he had a law like large territory so it was difficult for him to hit all those spots but nonetheless i mean he was cleaning Bud Light, Budweiser, Bush, you know, like those kind of lines where yeah. you know, you're not going to get very many, you know, beer buggers in there. But even then, like uh, like now it's like almost embraced. Uh, you have to have draft in order to kind of, um, you know, showcase the, the freshness and what you can actually bring um, to the table because we would all prefer you to drink out of a glass. That's how you smell everything. That's, yeah. you know, that's the proper vessel for, you know, all of your craft beer. Mm-hmm. We encourage it, you know, obviously we all have package, um, but even within the package, I still encourage people to pour it in a glass, you know, put it in something that, you know, you're, you're going to get the full flavor of that product. And 
I think more and more people are starting to come around to that too. Uh, it's just kind of an educational aspect of craft beer and we're all, I mean, I do it daily. Every time I walk into an account, and I'm sure th these two gentlemen can say the same, when we're, when we're in there, I try and at least touch one person and, and let them know like the right way to do something or how to um, properly talk about the product because uh, there are young and younger and younger people in this industry that really need education and I feel like that's where um, that's where we're going to grow the brand moving forward mm -hmm. um, and we're slowly slowly kind of ticking those boxes as we go but craft beer is um, is definitely on a wave and a big one right now and we're, we're all kind of on the forefront of it and it's going to be challenging with more and more um, you know competition coming coming to the market but um, I'm hoping that more people embrace the brew pub aspect of craft beer have them come to your establishment and try it fresh from the tanks as opposed to relying on something that might be sitting on the shelf or, you know, something along those lines. And I, I do a really good job trying to maintain freshness for all of my products, and I know both of you guys do the same exact thing. But um, ultimately, that's that's the, the, the gist of what we're trying to do to kind of make craft beer something that's going to stick around as opposed to being a flash in the pan. Yeah. yeah. And with, with, new, with younger and younger people getting into it, it's, it's crucial that we continue to educate people on just everything from proper beer pouring to storage to to understand what you're smelling and tasting yeah. and, and how to explain it so I just think uh, if, we, if we feel like all right we we're good now everybody knows it's you know it's wrong we just got to keep doing it keep and then, you know when that bartender becomes a manager you know they can educate their next bartender it's just you got to keep got to keep going on yeah, the, education. The, yeah, the education component's huge. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, we're we're constantly going to have to answer the question for people: Why is it worth paying two, three dollars more for mm -hmm. my pint of beer versus that Bud Light, that Miller Light, that whatever else? Exactly. You know, and it might not be for everybody. I mean, I think this is the other side of it now, and the, the, what I've seen changed a lot in in craft beer in Charlotte has been people are realizing that craft is not craft beer is not that it's not immune to all of the market forces that every other business goes through and it's growing up a little bit you know yeah. i think that when when craft beer started when i was you know when i was still teaching high school and i was writing about craft beer and we didn't have you know the other than rock bottom and you know hops there were yeah. there, there weren't any yeah. other quote-unquote local breweries here and you know it was new and people were geeking out over it and it was a very small community i mean most of my best friends now were people that i met early you know in the craft beer game whether they were bar managing whether they were working at breweries or anything else and now craft is it includes a lot more people you know you go to some of these local breweries you go to some other bars and it's like i see a lot of people drinking craft who are way young who i've never seen before and that's awesome for the industry i mean we're getting a lot of people into it but at the same time it's it's like that kid whose favorite band gets famous and you know all of a sudden you know to them the band's not cool anymore and and craft is growing up a little bit and i agree i agree that you know continually educating people about proper glassware about ingredients about freshness freshness to me is a huge freshness and yeah. quality right now to me are the two right. biggest issues in craft beer right now consistency and and that's not a that's not a local issue it's not a regional issue it's not a national issue it's an everybody issue and you know 
we have to remember that because craft has expanded and because there are so many more people now drinking craft beer, there are more people trying craft for the first time every day. And if their first experience with a beer that's expensive is crappy, they're out, man. They're out. You only, yeah, you only get that one chance at a first impression. And I, I mean, I don't think anybody here is interested in in calling anybody out, but we've it, there's bad beer in this market. Mm-hmm. There is, and yeah. there's old beer in this market, and there's you know, we have to be diligent about making sure that the product that gets to people is high quality. And you know, I think that we can go overboard sometimes too on the emphasis on proper glassware and proper everything. Because I'll be honest, there are days where I crack a can out of my fridge and I just drink it straight out of the can. <laughs> right, sure. Right. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, you yeah. know. And I, I, I think that's another danger right now in the craft movement too. Is we've got to shift from beer snobbery and not to say that that's what you guys are talking about because I think all of us want people to be educated and we want yeah. people to have the beer at its at its best in its best state but I think we've got to be really careful not to be that kid who's pissed off that his favorite band got popular right. and you know all of a sudden everybody's like come on man I just want to have a beer sometimes like you know and turning those people off because i yeah. think that inclusivity and ryan we were talking about this to a degree before yeah. the podcast started is you know in order for craft to continue to grow across the board and that's obviously what all of us want you know we have to continue to bring more people into the fold and more people feeling comfortable with craft culturally more people feeling comfortable with craft you know from a flavor standpoint i think we're seeing right now i mean lighter beer styles and craft are huge right now yeah. mm-hmm. pilsners golden ales you know things that when people first started geeking out and getting into craft beer it was all about high abv man mm-hmm. i remember being in georgia when i was in college and seeing a dogfish 90 and trying that for the first time and like my brain exploded because <laughs> it was just like it was so much flavor and it was intense and so i was seeking out stouts and quads and double ipas yep. and like just destroying my palate much yeah. less my liver and <laughs> Like, I think at some point, I think we're starting to shift back into a healthy balance of of everything. And man, there's some awesome lighter beers that are being made out there now. I was at Resident Culture the other day and tried their Pilsner that they had brought to Black and Blue. That I didn't a have great, a chance to try it. That is yeah. an awesome Pilsner. I, I didn't have a chance to try it at Black and Blue because I was pouring. But right. man, that beer was good. I walked all the way over there from, I was over at Pizza Peel um, and I was like, I'm gonna go try this Pilsner. So I walked over there and like, it was so good and that that's a style that i've been drinking more of and you know i think that you know the market we're seeing it trend that direction i mean our pilsners up right now our lighter styles are doing well so uh, i think our market is maturing which is a good thing and to your point earlier i know that you had mentioned younger people and kind of cultivating the uh, you know the the younger craft crowd Uh, i mean we just had an event uh on sunday it was bluegrass and brunch with uh, a bunch of beers and I would say the average age uh, was probably sixty, of, of no the people. Kidding. Yeah, that's I mean, awesome. It was cool. just a lot both of both sides of the spectrum. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's what we, that's what I feel like craft beer brings to you know the the actual beer scene is it's not, it's not one generation specific right now. Yeah, you know, you're right. we have we all have enough different beers in our portfolios that kind of appeal to the masses, and um, as we grow, um, you know. We're gonna we're gonna recognize that and kind of maintain you know certain beers for certain crowds, um, but 
also we want everyone to kind of try everything. Yeah, um, 100%. Yeah. And then find your niche within within a within a portfolio or just find a style. Yeah, everybody's yeah. different, man. I find so many people come to my tastings and they almost apologize to me because they don't like IPAs. And I'm sure. like, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Like, no. you don't have to you like IPAs to, yes. to like craft beer. Yeah. If you yeah. like if you like pilsners, if you like stouts, if you like dark beers or brown ales, that 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 is the beauty of craft beer, man. Yeah. Not every beer is for everyone, but there is a beer for everyone yeah. out there. And and I, you just got to find it. And I think that's one of the problems that craft beer hit in the last couple of years was everybody uh, assumed that. If you said craft beer, you meant like a IPA. double IPA or an IPA. Yeah. A, yeah. And it's, no, it's, you know, uh, Bold Missy has a, the Solo Flight Brown Ale. That is a really good English-style brown ale. That's, it's as equally a craft beer as Hop, Drop, and Roll is, which is a, which is the, I guess, the, it's with you three guys, but yeah, the flagship <laughs> IPA of Charlotte. It's the city standard. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's nothing yeah. wrong with yeah. admitting that. It's the best-selling IPA in the city. Yeah. And yeah. just uh, getting people to understand, and I've seen that a lot on the other side of the bar as the bar managers, people come in and, like, they'll say they don't like craft beer, but a lot of times what they mean is they don't like hoppy right. beers. Right. Yep. And like, they're like, well, do you have anything that's not hoppy? And, like, I got 36 taps. I got... I can. I'm pretty sure I can find you. I have no, a lot of answers. IPAs. No. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, there there are days when I want to answer answer questions with that. But yeah, there's. I got a lot of beers. I have a bunch of IPAs, but I also have you know. I usually have a Kolsch and a Pilsner and a Pale Ale, mm-hmm. and probably a Brown or an Amber or some kind of milk stout. Yeah. I just tell me what you like, and we'll right. we'll find something for yeah. you. And that's how we coach up our our bar staff too yeah. it's, what do you normally drink yeah you know even if, yeah. even if they come in like well to be honest all i drink is rosé like okay we have wine if you would like wine yeah. but uh but we might be able to find something within our you know portfolio yeah. that might might appeal to you as well but uh every sampling that i do um you know even when i'm going into some of these crap beer bars and people are like oh man just seems like all they have are ipas well no you need to ask them you know I like something a little bit lighter, something yeah. you know that uh, that won't peel my tongue off, and um, and usually they'll be able yeah. to find something. But yeah, I think too, I love the analogy with with bands and music because I've yeah. used that a lot too. And in the same aspect, you know, everybody wants the the new and cool music that's coming out or yeah. new styles. But then again, at some point as you get older, you kind of look back and you you appreciate more of the of the Beatles and the classic music, and you, and you yep. you know. You, you kind of want to revisit that sometimes and you're I mean, in that like, mood on a Sunday. You know, I've been drinking a lot of Duck Rabbit brown ale and milk stout the last couple of weeks because yeah. that's, I love that milk yeah. stout. Mm-hmm. That milk yeah. stout is so good. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. So you start going back to some of these pilsners and lagers. And, and, yeah. and I think in the beginning, too, a lot of breweries, you know, it was uh, a little intimidating to do some of these lagers and, brewers, uh, and pilsners because, yeah. well, first of all, they take longer to ferment. So you've mm-hmm. you got a lot of ferment time. and. And then um, you can't make as many mistakes. You, you can cover up a, hide you can cover mistakes, up a mistake in exactly an IPA. Yeah, you yeah. can't cover up a mistake can, in a pilsner. Yeah, you can. You can always <laughs> add a little more hops or malt to to hide stuff. But on a pilsner, it's, it's you know it's bare bones. I mean, you really yeah. gotta. It is what it is. And you can't manipulate too much. And uh, so, uh, but now I think there's a lot more uh, brewers that are you know confident in their systems and and willing to give it all the world. And, and yeah. we're realizing too that there is you know there's something to be said for good light beers you know yeah. and i think too that's a great opportunity to, to to do the pepsi challenge with some of these these uh the middle lights and bud lights of the world it's just all right you're used to that we'll try this pilsner and when they, when they try them side by side uh, you know the craft pilsner is going to be so much more complex and, and dynamic 
than what they you know they're used to drinking and i think that's where they'll really go aha i see what you're saying yeah you know it's yeah. different between mom's homemade you know chocolate chip cookies and you put a chips ahoy next to it you know they're both <laughs> chocolate chip cookies but like when you try them side by side it's like no brainer right so that's but i, th I think that's why we're seeing a lot more uh, pilsners and stuff out there and lighter mm -hmm. beers and you know, going back to basics sometimes. It is the season, too. Once we hit that warmer weather, yeah. everyone's looking for the longevity as opposed yeah. to... Everybody's looking for Kolsch's, Blondes, yeah. Pilsner's. I'll tell you what, though, man. I, I, I think people got stouted out a little bit this year. I'm oh, not going to yes. lie. I mean, we, yeah, started to see, we started to see spikes in our lighter beers in late January. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, people started buying Pilsner's early this year. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, you know, I don't know what that's indicative of overall in terms of trends, but, I mean... And I think on the bar side, Ryan, you could speak to this, but I mean, I think a lot of bar bar buyers uh, or beer buyers got stuck and inundated with really. A you bunch mean all those of stouts, all those stouts and Russian Imperial stout kegs that I have sitting in my cooler, taking up space, yep. doing nothing. You, yeah, you mean other people did the same thing? Yeah, but yeah. you can age them; yes. they're good for well, good for you. That is the yeah. one saving grace of all those beers that I can let them sit and like do verticals next year. Yeah, Imagine. yeah. Yeah. Start doing them now. <laughs> Christmas um, in July, right? Uh, one thing I think we've all kind of touched on a little bit is that I want to ask is, from your perspective, has the industry become more or less professional in the last few years? I know we've talked about there's a lot of younger people coming in, and, and craft beer is the cool, hip, hot thing. Are one question I have is someone who talks to a lot of those younger people as because they get jobs as basically junior beer reps and they come and talk to me to sell beer and have you seen do you think the again yeah, yeah, this is what I'm trying to ask do you think the, the industry is getting more professional at that level or is it getting less professional or is it just that we're at that flexion point where a lot of people who have who just think it'd be really cool to work in beer are working in beer and they haven't quite figured out that this is actually a job that you need to do well to I, keep it. I, I was going to say, can it be both? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because I mean, in my opinion, I just think there are more people working in craft beer and right. you know, the reality is, I mean, you guys have both been in the industry for a very long time, longer than I have, you know, and I look at the positions that you're in. I look at the way that you guys represent your breweries. You do so extremely professionally. I see a lot of other people that do the same thing. I also see a lot of young reps who get in this job and they get an expense report or sorry, an expense account for the first time and a company card and they've got a lot of free alcohol in their possession. Yeah. And, you know, I, it, it, I, I think it, the juxtaposition almost emphasizes both sides yeah. even more because, you know, I, like I said, I see the way you guys operate. I would like to think the way that I operate maybe, yeah. but, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. but yeah. you know, like it, it Part of it is having to grow up, man, because when I first started in the industry, <laughs> man, I was stoked to have that expense account, too. And yeah. I probably went out and had a couple nights where I drank too much beer and didn't make the wisest decisions as far as what I was spending the company's money on. And, you know, it, you just it, there's a learning curve in anything you do right. and any profession. Absolutely. And so you try to figure that out. But I, I've seen both. I mean, I think the industry has grown up. I think it is getting more professional. I think it's getting more business like some people, you know, hate this word, but God forbid, it's getting a little more corporate corporate. Yeah. Um, but well, at the same time, there's still a lot of young new people working in the industry. And because it's grown so much, and it's so much more visible, you know, the extremes on both ends stick out. Yeah. And to your point, too, um, a lot of it has to do with um, first time business owners, first time managers, yeah, exactly. uh, proper training, 
knowing the processes of actually fulfilling a full work day, uh, just simple things like that, you know. Um, I learned a lot, you know, before I had even started on the craft side. So I kind of brought a lot of those aspects along with me yeah. to Triple C. Um, and I've kind of, um, you know, in time passed them down to a lot of my staff. Now, it doesn't always mean that they're going to take everything that I have to say, <laughs> but uh, but at the same token, um, I, to your point, I think that the younger the, um, the person is within the industry, I think it definitely reflects on how they... Um, fulfill just simple, you know, day-to-day orders um, yeah. and, and, and communicating with people and actually, you know, holding up your end of the bargain. You know, if you say yeah. you're going to have a tap takeover, you better have all the stuff there before, the, you know, the start of the business day, not roll in there as it's, you know, happening yeah. and just start, you know, thinking that everything's going to be fine. Um, but yeah, it, it really is, I, th- I feel like, um, uh, brewery specific you know there are certain people who who have like an amazing training uh, program I'm sure Oscar Blues you know spends a couple of weeks with you know their staff and puts them through you know at least the training on their own beers and everything yeah. that you know the brewing process that way when you're in the market you're, you know you don't we don't they don't have something that they can rely on and just hop in the car and go right back to the brewer and ask them a question yeah. they have to know all that stuff you know firsthand um, and that goes with a lot of the regional and um, national breweries, but we do have that luxury of just hopping on the phone and calling our head brewer and be like, listen, I know you told me this this morning, but (laughs) (laughs) what's that uh, hop edition again or something along those lines? But um, I've got to give our guys a lot of credit too, because I mean, since I've been with OB, I mean, our the training that we have is awesome. Like when we were out in Colorado and I'm talking to Tim Matthews, who's our, our brewmaster, basically the head of operations for all things OB, and he's responsible for most of our biggest beers. You know, he's giving everybody, and when I was out there for my training, he's giving everybody his number. He said, if you have a question, call me, call me. You know, I'm fortunate that I've got, you know, one of our regional managers lives in Charlotte. And so I've got a contact there as well, but the, your, 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 your point on training is huge I and mean, it is huge like if you don't have direction and you're young you're going to do you what young people up. do <laughs> yeah you know and in a business too where you're you're you know you are competing against you know mbev and miller and you're against you know people have been in this business for hundreds yeah. of years and or, you know despite what we may say they they are very good at this business yes, oh they are. yes <laughs> and there are there are multiple you know corporate meetings every day yeah, you know, how to combat and and the thing is too. What, what I think there's a misconception is is that you know if, if you're uh, you know organized, professional, and structured, that it's corporate, and that's not yeah. necessarily true. It's it's that that's yeah, I think that should be with anything. Uh, um, I think we have that craft still has that kind of cowboy. We're all just having fun. Well, vibe about it, and it's like. Yeah, there's six thousand brewers now. We can't all just be having fun. That this is and this I, is I will serious. S- I will say the the distributor Tryon Distributing, who I worked for for many years, um, early when we when the craft was starting to pick up, we we always had a good craft book before we even passed laws, and we were unique. I felt because we treated beer like wine. We we told the story. We did yeah. beer dinners. And, and before that, it was mostly just like, hey, we got this on the truck, and a lot of these other guys, they couldn't take us to a lager, you know, or ale, whatever. Um, so that, you know, that helped too, having the knowledge of the beer. And I feel like a lot of people are getting in the business now that don't have that history or background to understand 
what industry you're getting into and that has been here for a very, very long time. Yeah. And you're not the first person, you know what I mean? This has not just happened in the last five years. They think, yeah, oh, I get to sell beer and talk about, I just think hang out and drink beer and sell beers. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. And what it took to get craft to where it is, in Charlotte specifically, I mean, you know, you're talking about going from very little, it, 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 in a 10 year span. I mean, the yeah, difference in craft beer here span. in 10 years is massive. Like, yeah. the shift is huge. Yeah. So, and, and that's really, I think, the big thing with, with uh, a lot of breweries. Um, they get into it not realizing that you know, it's it's a business and yeah. and, and uh, you got to make your presence known and it's not just hiring somebody pay them a little bit give them like you said a, you know a, a credit a company credit card and you know hey go do some pint nights or you know <laughs> and there's like hell yeah I mean you know, I, I yeah. get to do a pint night and you know free beer and I get to buy people beer you know that because that gets yeah. old quick and you yeah, guys and you guys know it's not that easy anymore i mean this no, is another no. thing that shifted in the industry i mean the same old tap takeover just doesn't cut it anymore no, no. people like they people just don't get excited about it anymore because they've just been inundated with it for the last it's five all, years it's yeah. been watered down i mean it has and 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 you know people that are doing tape tap takeovers or you know counts that years ago never even thought it would yeah you know put craft beer on first of all you know yeah. so it's like and plus that term's just gotten you know, so watered down yeah. too. I mean, you know, what, that's yeah, the thing. What is a tap takeover? That's yeah. when we get that offer. When I get that offer, it's like, all right, what are you? Because I really, really don't do tap takeovers per se. We may do four or five taps. Focus night or something. Yeah, you know, focus and night. And, and, that's, like, and, and that's the way. I even mean, and even when we do that, it's like, what are you going to bring for to sell your beer? Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, your and, beer. I'm, I got thirty six taps. I got more beer back here. I don't have to. I don't really have to do this. Yeah. You need to come and make a value add for this for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you're giving us the opportunity to yeah. represent, you know, to showcase yeah. a lot of beers at one time and so I found people can try it out, and, you know, and and that's what you have to embrace and and, and there are a lot of younger reps who I don't think well they get think that's that. their job. Like, yeah. all right, I got I got one this month. I got one. And yeah. it's not necessarily, you know, it's well, you should be doing it the right places for the right yeah. reasons. And the job's also not to just like set up the tap takeover and go hang out and have a beer at the corner bar like, right, yeah. you know we're, we're all in the promotional business like right. whether you like it or not your job is to go and promote the product because at the end of the day like ryan your bar is going to be fine whether i come there and do an <laughs> event or not like yeah, it yeah. just it is if what it, it is you, somebody else right know. and so it, like what are you going to do that's unique and and like you said that's value added for those customers and that's the level of professionalism i think that's going to set people apart in the industry it's like what are how are you being creative and staying ahead of the trends and realizing that okay you know me going and doing a pint night that's that's not necessarily going to excite somebody so what can we do instead what's different what's what's going to make the difference you know yeah and i saw a big change too where you know years ago you were doing events because you're really excited about it you had you had you know maybe you were you stashed a, a you know unique keg that's been sitting you know in the guy's cooler for a while and you're yep. like oh look we need to throw that out there and we got this, 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 and you were excited. You know, what I mean, it was just yep. a, a, you were really looking forward to it. Now, sometimes it's just like, oh, you're, oh, you're, you're almost filling tap up. Takeover. Yeah. Well, you're just filling up somebody else's calendar. They open the calendar. They're like, yeah, I really need an event this month. Can right. you do that? And you're just filling up their calendar so they can, um, you know, have an event, and so they can cross that off their list. Yeah. You right. know, and and it shouldn't be. You know, that's where I've seen it get watered down. It's like you right. really, I want to see the same passion from the buyers that that we want and, and you know otherwise you're just going through the motions yeah, there are actually certain reps who they come in usually around the same time every quarter because they have to do x number of events mm -hmm. every quarter mm -hmm. and they come in 
they'll come in one week to kind of talk and hang out a little bit and then they'll come in the next week with the ask for the tap takeover and it's like yeah, I haven't seed. seen you in three months because that's because they're uh, yeah. th- they have um, you know uh, things that they need to hit when they're t- with their top 20 accounts or top yeah. 50 accounts mm-hmm. certain things and then they can go back to their boss and say listen I you know I checked all the boxes I'm yeah. ready for my bonus now and that's yeah. you know there's yeah. no they don't showcase, you know, how much product they actually sold through there, uh, so, sold through there, or how many people they sampled, or anything along those lines. Yeah. And um, that's something that I harp. I, I have a, a rep who uh, takes care of like the Raleigh, Durham, and uh, Cary um, area. And I always say, um, liquid on lips sells beers. If you can get the product in their hand and actually have them taste it, your chances are going up by fifty percent of them actually purchasing that yeah. product yeah. right then and there. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, you know, I reinforce that every single time because I can't tell you how many times I'll walk into an account and I'll see five, six, seven different samples just sitting on the bar with like a, a business card right next to it, and I yeah. kind, I kind of laugh at that. I'm like. If you don't have the time to actually s- schedule something to sit down and actually talk to the decision maker, mm-hmm. you're not doing your job. Yeah. You're, you're basically just dropping beer off for the dishwashers. Yeah. That's all you're doing. Yeah. Right. Or they'll end up in their cooler and, and then they start doing, you know, like uh, grab bags or like uh, $2 mystery beers or something like that. Like it never <laughs> makes it to the person who's making the yeah. decision. So, um, you yeah. know, those are, those are just si- simple aspects of the actual promotion side that kind yeah. of drives drives me nuts but yeah, and that's gonna be the difference between people that have been in the business for a while have worked for distributors right. or just even understand whether you work for a distributor or not you've been with the brewery for a while you just understand there's just certain aspects that just don't work and if you're just you're just going through the motions if you're just dropping bottle, you know yeah. let me get a case of beer and i'm gonna drop it off to 24 different people yeah you know with with a sales sheet next to it you know that that's, that that's help. the easy that way work. that's just all right i did that I washed my hands yeah. of it like you yeah. said ben like if when that happens i just put the beer in the cooler and then at the end of the night the bartender's like hey do you got any free beer back there yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> if you like it let me know otherwise yeah. i don't care yeah. and, you know, <laughs> coming from wine background too i mean that's that's where you never just left bottles with people you, you know yeah you sat down and had a taste you, you taste multiple people a day yeah you know and then um you explain the story you taste it with them you know it's and and that's part of it that's part of the business that i think sometimes we're, we're missing to I, some degree the the interesting side the, the flip side of this too that i think is interesting and ryan i'd actually be in, i'm going to hijack your podcast here for a second <laughs> i'm actually interested in your your perspective on this because i feel like we've gotten to a point in charlotte where there are so many beer reps that a lot of times beer buyers hide from us mm-hmm. and oh yeah it gets really hard if you don't have a relationship with somebody and you haven't proven to them like hey I'm not just here trying to sell you what I have to hit my quota on. I actually think I have something that would work really well in this right. bar. Yep. Let's have a conversation about it and talk about it. And now it's like I walk through the door <laughs> and I start scanning and I, I don't even have to know who the buyer is because it's the dude who like immediately turns his head down and runs for the cooler. Yeah. Oh, you mean it's like, like, are you right. asking if I'm not saying I've done this, but <laughs> I've, are you asking if I've been sitting on one side of our bar and look out the front door and see someone I know who is a beer up? And walked out the back door to avoid them because I really don't feel like talking to you them. You would right never now. do that. But yeah. here's <laughs> the big thing: like I, I, I remember not that ten years ago <laughs> or more, like having accounts, and literally there would be uh, my competition would be maybe six other reps. I would yeah. have you know the Miller six reps. Then, that's you know, Thursday for me. That's what six I'm saying. reps. That's what I mean. And I mean, well, because I, I recognize only teachers. six. I, you know, we'd have oh, that's to just, wait. Yeah, said that's one day. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we would have to wait, you know, if someone you got there, I, I knew everybody's car. I'm like, oh, well, yeah. so-and-so's here. So, yeah. you know, I got a few. And and uh, 
you just knew it was it was a handful of people. It was you know a few beer companies. You got your at the time it was Coors and Miller, and and uh, Bud. Yeah. And then you had a couple other wine companies like Mutual Empire that also had some beer. So, and that was really it. A couple, a handful of other smaller distributors, and that that was it, literally. And uh, generally, everybody knew when they were gonna the other person gonna be there. So you didn't just hit them on one day. Yeah. You spread it out. So. I, and but in recent years, I had a hard time finding you know time to talk with you because like I'd be in line, there'd be two people in front of me, and then as I'm standing there, there's people going <laughs> coming in behind me as reps, and then you can see it in the face of the buyer, like they're getting overwhelmed. They're like, oh, and so you know I'd be like, hey man, I just got this real quick. I just want to let you know about that. And, yeah, you know, I kind of read that, and and that's um, the question I think ultimately that I'm asking is like, what do you think has led to that? Like why why do buyers is it is it just sheer volume of yeah, reps or just, is it quality of interactions that you're having with reps? I think it's both. I think it is just the sheer volume of reps because again, like I, I don't know if I said it on the air, but when I mean, we were talking that for me from my perspective you guys as the reps at the breweries you're the ones who sell me the beer the distribution reps are almost at this point just because they have so many beers in their portfolio they're almost just order takers and they make sure the beer is delivered so what's happened is i'm not only just getting the distribution reps and then getting not even just charlotte brewery reps i'm getting reps i'm yeah i'm getting reps from every southeast regional yeah rep, the yeah every brewery East in Coast. north carolina who yeah. distributes in charlotte they'll send somebody their rep or their sales manager whoever does the sales for them will come through you know once a month so i'll have to talk to them and then i'll also get you know, like i said the southeast regional just rep for whatever new brewery has decided to come into north carolina or to come into charlotte they'll come through especially when they're first hitting the market so there's yeah it at some point it is just almost just and then in your too many people <laughs> in your situation you're also you know one of the the places people seek out yeah if you're oh we're just coming we're thinking about the charlotte market or yeah. you know hey what about the charlotte Mar- charlotte market it's they're going to go to brawley's they're going to go see you they're going to go over to yeah. good bottle they're going to go to the common markets and they're going to go to vendor they're going to go to yeah. all these places yeah. that everybody else is going to and and they're going to hit those top you know, 10 people or the 10 accounts that they think that, you know, influence Charlotte, yeah. and, you know, and they're going to do it around the city, you know, yeah. Wednesdays. And, and those are the places that get hit the most. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes on Wednesdays or Thursdays, like I'll be at the bar and I'll be talking to one rep. There'll be another rep sitting over at a table doing paperwork, waiting for me. And then there's like two sitting in the parking lot who just pulled in, who want to come talk to me. And it's like, I don't, yeah. you, you, I'm, it's almost I almost want to do the thing that when you're in, your, you're in college and your professor said, I have office hours, so you will <laughs> come to see me on this day from this hour to this hour. Other yeah. than that, um, leave me alone. Yeah. Um, there's some days I, I actually just want to send out an email. All right, I'll talk to you from 2 until 3 on Tuesday. I'll be open. My, my schedule is open 2 to two until 3 on Tuesday, uh, 1 until 4 on Wednesday. Yeah. One until four on Thursday. Is what happens that. is 10% of what your job needs, you know, as far as deciding the beers and that yeah. becomes 90% of what you're spending your time on. Yeah. And, and no, drive you crazy. <laughs> you look very <laughs> deflated on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll come in. You usually just come in to like just tell me what you have and maybe and I'll sell, I'll sell you beer. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll have a beer, yeah, one, yeah. one way or the other. Yeah, usually it's like, 
uh, it, yeah, you can about four or five o'clock yeah. on Thursday. It's just like, I'm, yeah, sure, I'll buy something. Just, yeah, because that's go away. I mean, that's another <laughs> unique shift, you know, that I think we've seen, and I think it's it's not unique to Charlotte in general, but I think it's unique to larger metro areas that do have lots of breweries mm-hmm. because, yeah. you know, when I go and and I see people in Hickory where I sell beer, or when I go see people in Boone where I sell beer, they're just not inundated with reps yeah. in the same way that people in Charlotte are, and so right. it's you know even people that maybe I'm cold calling on that I haven't seen before they're they're like oh cool you work for oscar blues that's awesome come let's let's talk and in charlotte man it's it's hit or miss (laughs) and that's a big challenge for me you know if i don't know these accounts because i you know i handle i handle a lot more accounts overall you know working for a larger supplier and so you know it's you have to you have to earn people's respect and earn their trust and show that you're not just wasting their time and you know i think that again that's something that you know, just like I think the onus is on all breweries to be making the best possible beer they can and putting the best possible beer in the market for the sake of craft beer in general. But I think for the sake of craft beer sales, I think it is, it's the, the impetus is on people training their sales reps to be professional and to not waste people's time and to show up and bring value to those accounts because, you know, that's the other danger is that eventually it gets so overwhelming and so useless in terms of time for some people that they just shut reps out in general and mm-hmm. that's bad for all of us. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's I mean, the self distribution aspect within within Charlotte has a lot to do with that too. Yeah. You know, everyone yeah. who thinks that they can do more than uh, a thousand barrels a year is out there beating the streets trying to do their own, you know, their old wholesaling thing. But uh, it also puts a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth because they'll give that, that guy a, a Sometimes shot. literally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Touche. Um, but they'll give that guy a shot because they're like, oh, he's, you know, the new guy mm-hmm. on the block. Um, I, you know, he seemed like he's going to be uh, working with me directly. So I'm going to work with him. And uh, you know, uh, he goes through the keg within a couple of days, and then he calls the guy up, and he never shows back up because yep. he's working another market or trying to get out there. So it's hard. Um, it's it's very difficult for the for the purchaser as well as um, you know trying to establish uh, a good customer base for the brewery. So there, I mean, it, it goes both ways. And uh, back to the point of training and you know establishing uh, yep. you know good territories and solid um, you know. Uh, business uh, practices whereas you know you're you're selling on certain days in certain areas and you try and work with the customer best you can to make it easier on them so that way when you do go in and talk to them you're like you know i I know you normally get beer on this day but this is going to be available this day we're running low on this and you know it's just just building a relationship within the uh within your account base is is crucial yeah and i think i think this is to, to your point this is why even now even more so than it was five six years ago i think it's so important if you're a newer brewery coming to market that you're bringing your best stuff forward because you may only get one shot with that buyer yep. you know i mean it, if i go to a new brewery and i'm trying beers and and i don't like the beers you know i'm probably not going to go back i mean and it it sucks to have to dump batches of beer it's expensive you know <laughs> oh yeah I mean, I, I will never forget that episode watching Dogfish dump all that 120 minute down the drain. But yeah. it's like, I mean, sometimes it's only one shot. I mean, and yeah. I don't get to go to as many breweries as I used to, man. But like I, I went to Divine Barrels opening the other day and to check them out and their beers across the board were awesome. They were great. I really enjoyed what I had with those guys. And, you know, I'm looking forward to them doing well. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's also I was almost 
like this is such a cynical thing to say, but I was almost like surprised that everything was really good right out of the gate because yeah, like, because it's, it's so tough to yeah. do, you know? And I say that as somebody, believe me, I've tried to make beer before. The reason I don't make beer anymore <laughs> is because hard. every brewer I've worked for makes better beer than I ever could. Mm -hmm. Like it's yeah. hard and I, I sympathize with that, but that has to be such a difficult decision. I'm sure it's something that you guys discuss with your teams too, not that you guys ever make a bad batch of beer, but sometimes <laughs> it happens and you know, it's like, it is this, is this worth going to market? It might not be bad, but it might not also be what the market wants. Exactly, yeah. and that's so, kind of my point. And I think it, if you're a new brewery and you come out the gate and you don't impress people, especially in your home market, it can sometimes take years yeah. to recover. Image, if you can. Reputation. Yeah, if you can. Image and you sometimes have to make well. a lot of big changes to make that recovery yeah. oh because everybody has an opinion and everybody has a freaking untapped oh mm -hmm. my god don't get me started on that <laughs> yeah <laughs> no and that's 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 another thing too is like you know your reps and the drivers people forget about the drivers mm -hmm. they, yeah. they are the face your customers see them more than anyone hundred percent yeah and um and i'll say one thing i've noticed is drivers for breweries that distribute themselves they're easier to work with than drivers who work for a distributor. Yeah. Because if you, I guess yeah. if you guys train them right, they know that they are part of the face of the brewery. So they have to come in and well, hopefully do too, things right. You get people too that are interested in moving up with the company too. Yeah. So, you know, you want people that are passionate you want that second person uh, being, a, you know, talking about the beers and they can talk about the beers and, and you feel comfortable with them talking about the beers and, and just uh, build, you know, there's some re there's some relationships out there where the driver and the buyer are better than sometimes <laughs> the rep, yeah. you know. So it's a, uh, you know, it's it's a, it's a unique dynamic, but uh, but that's what's good. You know, people want to get in the business, and if they're willing to drive and you know, be in the brew house and wash kegs and stuff, yeah. and they're they're, that's how you get in. You know, hmm. prove yourself. All right, I guess we're gonna start wrapping this up, and I'll ask one final kind of big question for everybody uh what do you guys see as your biggest challenge for you guys brewery and what do you and how do you see the future of craft beer particularly in this i guess this area going forward so i guess start off with the challenges that the biggest challenges you have now and going forward and how you see the future playing out is mm -hmm. kind of what i'm looking for i guess uh, anybody can jump in started last time uh, uh, I'll, I'll start <laughs> um <laughs> I guess uh, for, for us over at Triple C, um, you know, being one of the first four breweries here in town, uh, you know, we were kind of riding that uh, that high of being, you know, kind of new, and everyone wanted to come out there and experience the tap room and see where it was made, and um, I, 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 we're not the new guys on the block anymore. So uh, there's more more options out there, and, and we're noticing more and more that people want to stay in their own neighborhoods. So, yeah. you know, like Plaza Midwood is starting to pick back up. Um, Noda, now that the light rail's out there, is starting to pick back up. So just uh, driving business to the tap room is just very important, uh, not only for our business model, because, you know, obviously that's where we make the, m the most money off of our product, yeah. um, but also uh, reaching, uh, I, I guess, a larger demographic to show showcase what we are bringing to the table. Um, and then I guess uh, where we see ourselves moving forward would be um, a sustainable growth. Uh, we don't have any ambitions of being, uh, you know, the latest and greatest uh, New Belgium or Sierra Nevada. You know, we just want to kind of maintain 
Charlotte as a whole, but also offer some of our, our beers, you know, statewide so that, uh, you know, when we do travel to the mountains, we can, you know, still get our beer or the beach and um, kind of maintain that uh, without, without having the expectations of growing too fast or, or you know, yeah. outside of what we can actually sustain. So that's kind of where we're moving forward. Yeah. I'd say, you know, at the Wooden Robot, we're very much similar as far as uh, want to really dial in and just make sure that we're continuing to make good products, quality products, and or beers, <laughs> same products. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you know, and, and, and we're a lot smaller than people, the perception. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yes, you are. And, that, and, and trying to explain that to people that we are smaller is just, you know, a handful of us trying to do, you know, all these events <laughs> that, you know, and try to get the beer that, I mean, uh, so that that's a challenge, and the ch- the other challenge in the future for that is to to try to st- maintain that. We we really don't want to be a huge brewery or even much bigger than we are right now. I mean, we just we want to you know, make good quality beers and uh, and still be uh, you know get it out there and and ha- and be in the right places. But we just we're never going to just start making you know over five thousand barrels or more. It's just we we want to stay humble and small and and. Uh, quality of the beer that really speaks for itself I and mean, yeah. we, we will we'll dump a batch of beer in a heartbeat if it doesn't meet you know what, what we want yeah. you know and uh and I, I i feel good saying that it's not arrogance it's just it's just confidence that and and like i said we've been in this business a long time it doesn't take much to change uh you know reputation you know yeah it, you, you can ruin that in a day what you built in in five years you can ruin yeah. it in a day so uh it's just the the commitment to trying to to maintain that and and to uh keep it unique and uh quality and still still be small and but still be you know known in the area as uh, having good quality beers and i think actually one of the things i've noticed is a lot of the newer breweries coming up have that perspective there was a time when you had i think breweries were being started by a lot of business people Mm -hmm. with the idea that we will start the brewery we will grow as fast as we can, and then we will sell to one of the two big right. beer companies. And that was part of the business plan, and I think that was a bad business plan because there were only – there's, like, the number of breweries that that actually worked for you can count on your hand. Right. And I think what's happened is as more people who have as more professional as more professional beer people have started their own breweries i think they've understood you don't have being successful is not necessarily selling and cashing in it's yeah. like this is we are working beer this is fun just basically yeah. try to make enough money that you can take your vacation buy a house raise your children send them to college and you're making beer. <laughs> yeah, if you can keep that aspect of it, it's good. Yeah. But if you're doing it to get rich, then you might you're, want to you've think made of a else. you've made a very wrong <laughs> turn somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. so obviously, our our challenges are a little bit different. I'm not going to pretend to speak for my entire company, Oscar Blue Cigar City Canarchy. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's I've only been with them for about a year, and we've we're obviously a big brewery. So I, I'll speak to my personal challenges and what I what I think you know we're we're dealing with in the Charlotte market, and I think we've covered a lot of it. But I, I think the biggest thing is just kind of helping people realize that there's room for everybody at the table. I mean, I, I I read a statistic the other day that was like if Charlotte 
had the same number of breweries per capita as Asheville, there would be 260 breweries yeah. in Charlotte. Wow. Charlotte's got a lot of room to grow in terms of craft beer, yeah. you know, and, and so I, I I very much believe in the mantra of a rising tide lifts all ships. And I think that, you know, I, I do see and I've heard a lot of chatter, I guess, in the market about local versus national versus regional versus macro. And I think that the more that craft breweries, whether they're large or small, spend time fighting each other over this, I think it's going to be bad for all of us at yeah. the end of the day. I think that there's enough room in the city and Charlotte's growing every day massively and very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's going to continue to be room at the table for everyone. Um, and so my challenge is to continue to, you know, work to grow our brand in a way that's responsible in a way that makes sense and you know make sure that we're focused on getting quality fresh beer to the market we've got a brewery two hours away from here and i think it's one of the things that i like most about working for canarchy in general is that we have or canarchy depending on <laughs> um you know I, I think one thing that we do really well is that between our breweries in whether it's longmont whether it's brevard whether it's austin whether it's Tampa, whether it's Michigan, whether it's Salt Lake City, you know, and we have breweries in all of those places, we've started to sort of combine efforts to brew beer. So we're brewing most of the high lie for the East Coast now at Oscar Blues and Brevard. Okay. So the high lie that we're getting here in Charlotte's coming from two hours up the street, we've mm -hmm. started brewing high lie in Texas. And so people in Texas can get fresh high lie. And, you know, we've had our head brewer weighing out at all of those locations. We've got all the same equipment that they had at Cigar City. And he signs off on every, every recipe to make that beer in those places. And I think if we can, you know, we were talking a lot before the podcast about, you know, these breweries that have two massive facilities, one on the West Coast and one on the East Coast. And I think one thing that we've done really, that's really smart is that we have still pretty big but satellite facilities basically that yeah. eventually if we want to distribute these brands throughout the country we'll be able to brew them in a place that's relatively close to those locations i mean because look yes obviously number one goal is to get fresh beer and that's something that local breweries do outstandingly well i mean most of the beer that's getting shipped out of you guys breweries is days old you right. know and it's going to those accounts and it's hitting it's hitting taps days old you know but we also live in a world where, you know, our shipping technology is excellent. I mean, I can have beer out of Brevard at our wholesaler in a day and a half, two days. And then as long as our inventory is done well, bless you, um, as long as our inventory is managed well, we can get very fresh beer to the market, even though it's made somewhere else. And so I think our challenge is logistics, making sure that we're getting people quality beer, we're getting it to them fresh and we're getting it to market fresh, um, you know, and also making sure that we are engaging with our communities. Ben, you talked earlier about, you know, doing collaborations and working with some of these larger breweries. And that's something, obviously, I'd love to see that happen mm -hmm. in this area. You know, Oscar Blues has been in North Carolina for pretty, for a while now, but I still think that would be an awesome way, you know, to engage the craft community. Because again, I mean, I don't know what the percentage is in Charlotte. I'm not sure if anybody does, but the percentage of craft drinkers overall, we've got room to grow, man. Yeah. And, you know, the more hearts and minds we can win, whether it's the 60 year olds at, you know, at your bluegrass event, whether it's the 22 year olds that I'm seeing roll into some of these bars and brews for the first time. I mean, if we can, you know, get them to drink craft beer and, you know, support quality businesses, whether they're local, regional or national, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, I think that's good for all of us because, you know, if people's perception of craft is positive, whether they try Dale's for the first time, whether they try what he's having for the first time, whether they try 3C for the first time, and that's the beer that gets them hooked and gets them trying other stuff, 
that's a win for all of us and it's a win for your bar so yeah. it's getting people yeah. to into craft i mean i hate to say it but you know the blue moon back in the day with you know that, that really kind of opened that up is one of the most important beers you know in craft it, beers yep. the, yeah. the, you know the kendall jackson of, yeah, that's of, what of that's a question world. we get every at least every weekend multiple times yeah. is what do you have that's like blue moon and yeah that's yeah. a lot of people's entry into craft beer yeah it, got, it opened up people's eyes that there are different things out there and you know and uh not be afraid to try something different so for me it was honey brown and sweetwater blue man honey brown, <laughs> yeah. honey brown yeah. sierra, sierra pale ale and uh yingling i guess i mean i, I consider yingling still kind of a kind of a craft yeah it's family of owned sorts, yeah. Of yeah. sorts. can do without that green <laughs> bottle but it's family owned <laughs> yeah i think I just, mine was probably pete's wicked in highland gaelic actually been so long i have no i, I can't remember <laughs> <laughs> whatever was out of the damage section there's no, so there's old, no glass splinters on it i mean i'm so old i remember when damn session ales were just called pale ales every time i like somebody comes in and asks for a session ipa and i'll i'll usually have like pisgah pale ale or maybe or something like that up and i'll like I don't have a session IPA, but I have this pale ale. And they're like, oh, no, I want a session IPA. I'm just like, okay, you really, okay, sure. That's when you say, what it's is four. a session IPA? <laughs> yeah. You tell me what it is, and I'll give you one. It's only 4.2%. What else do you need? Yeah. <laughs> I guess the million-dollar question is, what's the uh, burning can lineup look like? Burning Ooh. can's going to be awesome this year, man. I'm, I, I was really excited about it last year. It was the first time I had gotten to go. Um, I don't know what the band lineup is yet. We haven't said it. Um, we're uh, I've heard some names thrown around, but it's <laughs> it's going to be fun, man. But uh, hopefully, hopefully the brewery lineup is going to be awesome as it always is. I mean, you know, we'd love to have both of you guys up there. You know, Mike, I told I told Dan, I was like, man, if you guys can throw some beer in a can, you know, we'll try to get we, you guys up there, have, man. You just it's a good did. Time. We did. You just we did. did. We did. We're doing a little at a time. We've already baby steps. All of our stuff. We'll be there. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I, I'm, yeah. I look forward to it. it. It's. I had so much fun last year. Other than it, it was so ungodly hot, and you think you're you think you're in the mountains, and it's going to be cool, man. Oh, but no, no, holy no, 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 man, no. it was hot. We spent half the day in that creek behind it because it was just oh, cold yeah. water coming right off the mountain. But try doing ten miles on a mountain bike beforehand. <laughs> why in the world would you do it that? Brutal. <laughs> I like brutal. the lazy river myself. <laughs> But no, we would love to have all you guys there actually, because it's it's such a fun event. There's always good music and everything, and so um, what, what, good people. When do you guys do? Uh, it's so it's August 10th, uh, oh, yeah. August 10th through 12th. So we'll have um, you can camp on site. You know, you'll be able to bring you know only your canned beers. And I think this is my favorite thing about the festival, um, and it goes back to what we talked about earlier. Because it's cans only, and people don't bring draft. It doesn't become a who's craziest weirdest whatever nobody puts their you know what on the table it's you know it's just everybody brings their good core beers the stuff that they make already the stuff that people hopefully they would want them to know so that when they're done at the festival they can go to any place that's near them and buy it um and so really it, it becomes more of a community event where instead of you know reps are just you know come try my weird double barrel aged sour milk stout like it's it's like hey man here's my pale ale here's my pilsner here's my ipa try these and just enjoy being there and so yeah. you know it, it there's a really good sense of community there um and if you've never been to rebranch where we hold it it's it's just such a beautiful place um mm -hmm. so it's a it's a few miles away from the brewery and people may not know that we hold it there as opposed to at the brewery um but the ranch is awesome um yeah 
So you should all be there. Cool. See, that's one of the cool things about being a little smaller. We could maybe work that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe, you know, special can just for that or something. All right. I'm going to put you guys on the spot because this is now our time for beer recommendations. <sighs> but I will start. And uh, we're going to go with the Sierra Nevada Otraves with agave and lime. That is a really good summer beer. We just had it on tap at the bar last week. It went very quickly because it is really tasty. The Otraves is one of my favorite gozes just in general. But then they like spice it up and put agave and lime in it. So it's like it's nice and refreshing and crisp. You can drink it's what the four point two four point eight percent so you can just drink a bunch of them and it's not too salty not too tart it's yeah it's a great it's gonna yeah. be a they're gonna do very well with that beer this summer That's i have a, a feeling i'm a fan yeah i I'd, I'd say too like one of my favorite uh summer beers too is the uh not stay on the goes a kick but uh anderson valley you made me think of that yeah. anderson valley makes the uh the blood orange goes well, they have a uh, rosé goza coming out this week i think rosé yeah yeah, yeah. rosé <laughs> <laughs> I, I already copyrighted that one sorry <laughs> <laughs> uh, razz hands out there anybody see your razz hands that's my rosé out there bro. <laughs> but uh but uh <laughs> but uh no i was just you when you said uh the ultra Vase, that's I, I go back and forth between those. Those were yeah. my kind of, yeah. like you said, you can. And I'm, I'm, I'm drinking them all day. Still can't catch buzz. So. And I'm hoping <laughs> Uinta. And back when you were repping for trying, you sold me the Uinta. That's a great one. Pilsner. Yeah. Which if that I will drink. I think when me and one of my former bartenders, Brad, I think we pretty much drank like half that keg the second time we got that. That beer is so good. Yeah, I think I helped you with that too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they got that 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 real lime in there and you can def, def, it doesn't have that yeah. fake lime tape. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, that's a great one. They, they hit the, they hit the mark on that one. Yeah. So All right. I hate to keep on going down the goza train, but uh, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of my go-to once the weather breaks is the uh, Westbrook goza. That's Ooh. that's always one to, yeah. Yeah. I've sat on the beach and drank a whole 12 pack of that, so yeah. it's yeah. easy. But um, I also love Mexican cake. That is just a hand down fantastic beer at some point we will crack open the keg of the seventh anniversary and we also have a second anniversary that they released something that they'd been they kept in barrels since the second anniversary and they released it last year oh man and i have a keg of that too that was one of the many many stouts, stouts yeah. that i bought <laughs> during the winter this year so I'll, I'm going to actually go back to a beer that I brought up earlier, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on the Pilsner train, man. Is that Resident Culture Pils? Um, yeah. I wish I could remember the name of it. It was a collaboration beer that they did. Um, so forgive me that I, I can't remember the name of it. But, man, it, it, it had, like, just the crispness of a German and then just had, like, a little American hop bite on the finish. Mm -hmm. It was so refreshing. It was so good. And I'm a Pilsner hog for sure. So at the end of the day, I mean, you know, that's just – it's a style I like. It's it's a style that I you know if you're a brewery and you can make a good pilsner, I respect the heck out of you because it's yeah. just yeah. they're hard to do and they're hard to do well. And um, man, I was really impressed with that. My buddy Andy, who works for Noda, recommended that to me. Um, you know, because I didn't get a chance to try to black and blue, and he was like, "Man, you missed that." Speaking of black and blue, if you didn't get a chance to try Noda's, they did the a blackberry boba brett for yes. uh, for. <laughs> for black and blue that was absolutely to die for. And actually, I think it was, um, 
God, see, now I'm going to be that Goza guy, too. I can't remember who did. <laughs> who had the Pina Colada Goza there? Uh, I didn't get a chance to try that one. It was it was like High Branch, maybe. I can't remember That's, who it was. Mm, um, someone had the Popsicle. Uh, somebody somebody told me that they were like, all right, th- th- this is a Pina Colada Goza. And I was like, oh, God, like this is not going to be good. It was awesome. It, it was like awesome. If you like Pina we do the margarita goza. We haven't, I haven't jumped on the pina colada one yet, as far as I know. But uh, yeah, man, p- props to them because I haven't had a whole, I haven't had a lot of their beers. Assuming it is yeah. who I think it was, but man, that was phenomenal yeah, if too. If it was so. High Branch, every beer I've had from High Branch has been so, so good. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah it was great, man. <laughs> really enjoyed it. Yeah, that was a lot of good beers there. So it yeah. really, I mean, <laughs> Mike always does <laughs> a great remember. job, man. Yeah. That's such a fun event. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. All right, my non-beer recommendations, you guys don't have to participate in this, but... we got to play the fifth. <laughs> my non-beer recommendations <laughs> this week are spaghetti squash and or roasted Brussels sprouts. Those are like... Uh, I will eat those any time, any day, and they're easy to make, especially the Brussels sprouts. Basically, you just toss them with olive oil and some salt and some pepper and maybe some other kind of spice. Balsamic reduction. Yeah, balsamic reduction. <laughs> Put it in the oven, let it roast for at 400 degrees for like 20 minutes occasionally shake the pan so they don't stick pull them out and boom you got like really it's especially if you put a little balsamic something sweet on it it, it's so good and it pops and then spaghetti squash another one easy to do just bake it in the oven with a little olive oil pull it out scrape out the squash and then you have your gluten free spaghetti Alternative, yeah. even though I'm not gluten free, I still love spaghetti squash. But that's just my two non-food, non-beer recommendations for the week. And I guess that wraps up our show. So I have to thank you guys for coming and sitting in and taking up. It takes three people to take up all the airspace that Aaron just naturally does on his own. <laughs> so um, thank you guys for coming in, Cam, yeah, thank Ben, you. Mike. Thanks for having us. Thank yeah. you Thanks guys. a lot, man. Appreciate you having yep. us too. Cool. I feel real old now. But, you know. <laughs> You are. Now I gotta like <laughs> think about today. Now all of a sudden, shift gears. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's Monday. Oh God, yeah. And I'd like to thank you guys for listening. And we will be back next week here on Between the Pints. Slotcha. So